as artificial intelligence continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation that we can't ignore, AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. With over 750 specialized hackers in their community, HackerOne isn't just theorizing. They're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large organization, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI dash safety dash security. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us go to gigantic.is that's gigantic.is and save your seat for our january cohort your potential is gigantic and we're here to help you reach it go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today so today we're going to dive into the story of a modern day search company. Ah, okay, like uh, Google or something more current like DuckDuckGo? No, no, a different kind of search, like a social information search. Okay, I don't think I know what that means. Okay, so say you had a new idea for a podcast and I thought it was really good. Okay. And then I might respond with that Carl Sagan mind-blown gif. You, you know the one. I know exactly the one. And okay, so... Are you talking about some sort of meme engine, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm talking about Tenor, the GIF keyboard that in 2017 was doing more than 200 million searches a day and was eventually acquired by Google. Fascinating. And today, we're going into the product journey of Tenor. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with Product Collective. 
We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So Tenor, from the very beginning, was an odd company compared to its other Silicon Valley brother and sister startups. They were laser-focused, frugal, and cared about nothing other than performance and growth. Yeah, so you talked with David McIntosh, the co-founder and CEO of Tenor, and talked about how they set their culture in those early days of the company. So, you know, often we'd have visitors come by and they'd be kind of surprised at just, you know, how small and somewhat... Uh, you know, grungy these 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 offices that we had were. So you know, even though we'd raised millions of dollars, had you know at, at the time hundreds of millions of, of, of people using the service, um, it'd always be sort of a, a low key um, location. So in in San Francisco, for example, you know you'd, you'd come into our office. It was sort of a, a portion of a broader space. You'd open the sliding door. You'd come into the office. It was packed with people in there. Um, we didn't even really have a formal conference room. It was like this one really small room in the back. Um, and at the time we were doing real marketing efforts. So we had boxes of swag sort of all, you know, piled all over the, the space. Um, but, you know, we, we really loved that because we just had this maniacal focus on scaling the service to ultimately reach hundreds of millions um, and, and billions of, of, of people. And we had this vision that, hey, we're going to build um, a fundamental expression service that ultimately everybody who's using a mobile phone, everybody who's messaging, they're going to want to use this service to express themselves more accurately, more precisely. And so I remember even, you know, one of our, our uh, investors, uh, you know, came by the office and, and we sort of joked that our goal was to reach a billion users without ever, ever, ever leaving this office. So they had a relentless pursuit of growth and they didn't want to worry about fancy offices and unnecessary pleasantries that would, you know, get in the way. Yeah. And this was also good hiring strategy for them, as I'm sure we're going to hear about a little bit later. It kept out folks who weren't incredibly passionate about the space. So for Tenor, what were those things that they were relentlessly focused on? Well, here's David again. I think the importance of that is that it spoke to our maniacal focused on what really mattered, which was how do we build a better service for users? How do we focus, you know, in our case on making search better and better, the content ecosystem better and better? And you know, it had the effect of, in some ways, filtering out people that weren't as interested in that mission or vision, right? So when you when you came by the office and you're kind of taken aback by how small it was and how cramped it was, um, but if you were really excited about the scale of the business um, and how we were continuing to grow that scale, then inherently, you know, it would be a better fit. But it also, I think, signaled um, to, um, uh, to, to our employees, to our team, to future investors, where we really chose to invest in. That ultimately we weren't going to invest dollars in an office and you know a fancy setup. We were going to invest dollars in um, you know the, the underlying service. You know we didn't even have our name on the door. The, the, like the, we had the name of the, of the prior company on the door, which is sort of a funny internal joke. We like to be under the radar. We like the idea um, that here we were operating a service that um, helped hundreds of millions of people uh, better express themselves, but you wouldn't know it passing by the office. You know that we 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 sort of we we. We uh, live to, uh, you know, as a company, we live to, to, to serve our, um, our, our user base and didn't need, really need to feel, um, you know, important by having a, a big and fancy office. We, we felt the importance of what we were doing based on the underlying impact that we were having, um, you know, on the, on the world. And so I think that, that's the example. greater impact on how the world communicates. That's a powerful mission. Yeah. One powerful enough to not even put the company's name on the office door. You know what, though? I kind of dig that. I yeah. do. 
So Tenor is a GIF keyboard that could be installed on an Android or iOS device. Is that right? Yep. And we talked a little bit about the development of the iOS keyboard in last week's episode, all about the first version of the iPhone. But this keyboard is a little different, right? Right. It's a GIF keyboard where you search cultural GIFs to send to your friends or share on social media. And there's this whole partner ecosystem that's actually powering it. What do you mean? So content creators like Netflix and Warner Brothers, they actually partner with Tenor to create content that's then promoted within their network. Ah, so in sharing these memes and GIFs, it keeps the shows or brand right in front of their audience. Exactly. Like, for example, the Justice League release, Warner Brothers used Tenor to feature GIFs from the hotly anticipated trailer. In less than five days after the trailer release, Tenor generated over 90 million views and hundreds of thousands of direct shares of Justice League GIF content. Sure beats uh, banner ads, I would say, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, this is like a whole new form of advertising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but this is, it's exciting. Um, (laughs) It all started in 2014, and I, I honestly can barely remember yesterday at this point, but it was definitely harder to find the perfect GIF back then. It started with um, the launch of uh, Tenor's GIF keyboard, GIF keyboard, in the fall of uh, of 2014. And so before that launch, um, it was pretty difficult to share a GIF. You had to leave your messenger, go to the browser, go to a search engine, type in, you know, good morning GIF, click through a bunch of links, copy the GIF, close the browser, go back to the messenger. I mean, it took two to three minutes. Um, and so what, what, what our core insight was, if you can reduce the friction um, to enabling people to share, um, you could open up this use case to dramatically more people. Uh, so, you know, my estimate is that before Tenor launched, just sort of back of the envelope, I think there were maybe a couple million people in the world that were sharing gifts. And you had websites, right? You had Tumblr and Imgur and, you know, a few others um, that let you access gifts, um, but they all fell into that same problem, which is that they were optimized for web usage and browsing on the web. They weren't optimized around this mobile communication uh, use case. And so my co-founders and I, uh, you know, Eric and Frank, we had a history in online video and, and we were really thinking about how do we transform the video experience to be natively mobile? Because of course you had videos app at the time, you had YouTube and you had, you know, Vine that had some traction but nobody had really cracked, how do you create a natively video experience at scale? And so our core insight was, well, it's gotta obviously be short, right? Like people people mold shorter attention spans, the content's gotta be shorter. But the other part was, could you wrap video around the communication use case? Communication is the dominant way that people use their phone, right? You think about all the messages that you, you, you send every day. And so the insight was, okay, well, if we can use video motion, um, as a way to help you express yourself, we can you know, crack this, this, this use case you know, wide open. But then the next question became, well, how do you access distribution? What's, what's our wedge into the market? Um, and I remember Apple announced um, the iOS 8 keyboard platform um, in the summer of 2014. And we had done some experiments around creation. So we had built an app that would let you create GIFs and browse GIFs and share them. Um, but we didn't have yet that easy access point for consumers to be able to share this content with friends. And so a light bulb went off the moment um, iOS 8 came out. I remember seeing the, you know, the announcement later that afternoon. And I said, we, we've got to build something here you know, right away. Their initial launch right after a quick break.
Before the break, David McIntosh and the team at Tenor had just found an in. Apple was getting ready to release iOS 8, and with that, they were allowing keyboard integrations, which was the perfect fit for their GIF search engine. We, we built uh, the, the, the GIF keyboard, which enabled you to, to switch between your normal keyboard to access these GIFs, very similar to the emoji experience on, on iOS. Um, we launched the experience um, in the fall, I think maybe a day or two after the iOS 8 platform began to, to roll out. Um, and you know, we, there was one TechCrunch article that had been written. Ryan Lawler wrote, you know, wrote the piece, um, although we had circulated a, a beta version of the product beforehand and already started to see it kind of go viral. I mean, we're talking about like dozens, maybe hundreds of users, people pass it you know, to, to each other. So you know, we had an indication that, um, that, that uh, it, it was really solving a, a core user need and, 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 and people like sharing with each other. But the moment, so moment, uh, you know, uh, Ryan's article came out, we just started to see uh, the app continue to grow and grow and grow on the charts. And so, um, you know, we, I think we had, uh, uh, you know, I think grown to a couple million users within the first, um, you know, two, two months. And that's what created the critical mass. So that's what gave us this critical mass of, of distribution, which then ultimately led us to understand that the killer use case here was in search. If we looked at what the, um, most retained users were doing, they were coming back and they were doing, um, you know, a search. And so we then said, well, what we really have to do um, is, is focus on the search experience because what we noticed is that- Two million users in the first couple of months. That growth is massive. And I think it'd be pretty safe to say that that's product market fit. Don't you think, Michael? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what would you say uh, the job of Tenor was for those users? Um, like a personality? I guess, just kidding, um, but it kind of. So, but let's get back to that initial growth. Often the conversation would be moving quickly. They'd have moments to find the right thing um, before they just said, well, you know, maybe I'll type something or say nothing at all, right? So in some ways our biggest competition was um, speed. How do we get you the most relevant thing across all the potential billions of queries people might be typing in? And of course that thing might vary every day based on culture and news and other things happening in the world. Um, and so we used that mobile leadership that we had to then build leadership in search, which then allowed us to go and integrate the service into all the major messengers. So we were able to integrate Tenor Search into everything from Facebook to Twitter to WhatsApp uh, to services like Discord, you know, thousands of different um, you know, communication uh, services. Thousands of service integrations. I mean, that sounds like a huge feat in itself. But they had a secret weapon in this. One of the keys was that that initial consumer groundswell of people sharing the product with their friends put pressure on the overall communication ecosystem. So users would come to the messengers and say, why aren't you supporting gifts? Why aren't you supporting Tenor? I want to be able to share gifts with my friend. And so you had this really nice uh, flywheel effect. Um, you know, business to consumer to business, meaning that the better we made search, the more consumers would share with their friends. The more their friends would say, well, how are you doing that? I want to do the same thing. And so it went viral ultimately because of a change in behavior. Consumers noticed changes of behavior in their friends. And so, you know, you, you had people then adopting the product that motivated our content partners, all the movie studios and television companies, other partners to contribute more content to the ecosystem. That was a component in making search better the better the search, the more people used it. So you had this really powerful flywheel there, but then you had a secondary flywheel where the more people used our product, 
the more they would then go to external products that hadn't integrated our product and come to them and say, well, you've got to integrate, uh, you've got to integrate this product. Um, and, and, and so you, you had those, the, you know, sort of that, that nice in some ways two-sided flywheel. You had a two-sided marketplace in the sense that we matched consumers looking for content um, to the underlying content that they wanted to share and express in context. Uh, but then you also had that ecosystem play out um, in all the various communication apps that, that people were using. And so it started with that highly strategic distribution wedge into the marketplace. Let us build a critical mass of both content, um, but also a, a, a user base that let us make search really great. Then that snowballed into these integrations, ultimately into uh, most of the major messengers and communication apps and even operating system level integrations that continue to grow the ecosystem. We'll be right back after a quick break. So before the break, we learned about their go-to-market strategy and how they grew both sides of the marketplace. They focused on building the highest quality GIF search engine integrated into a keyboard so that users would share it. And in turn, those using a device or service it wasn't integrated with would bug the company or product to integrate it. And integrate they did. Now, this was the strategy, but David also talked about how their vision helped create these decisions. Even from the beginning, um, I remember when we were first pitching investors, we had this thesis that this was a service that would become ubiquitous in nature. Um, you know, there's a lot of consumer products that, you know, get to 100 million, 200, 300 million users, and, and they're valuable products, um, but they don't break out beyond that, that, that point. And our, and our vision from the beginning was that communication is its fundamental human need. Everybody is ultimately going to be communicating digitally on the phone. But the pain was that people wanted a way of better expressing their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions. They wanted to do it visually. Um, you know, we're all inherently visual creatures. Um, and so I remember one of the, the early uh, pitches that we made um, right before we launched the product. This is maybe a day before we put it out with, with Redpoint. Uh, and I walked through the product with them. And, that, you know, we had basically zero users at that point. And I was showing, okay, well, here's how it works. I'm, I'm, I'm sending a gift to somebody else. Look how easy it was. And I was walking through the reduction of friction. And, you know, I, I articulated this vision of like, hey, this is fundamentally a product that can scale, not just to hundreds of millions of users, um, but to billions of users because it serves a, a fundamental need. Um, and so, uh, you know, from the very beginning, that was the vision that we rallied the founders around, that we rallied um, investors around, and that we rallied ultimately um, you know, the team around. And so, so going back to that, that story of, of the culture around, around the office, you know, even though we were sitting there, you know, in a, in a, in a sparse, uh, and, 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 uh, somewhat, uh, cr crowded, cramped office, um, you know, we, we kept coming back to that, Hey, we're going to get to hundreds of millions, if not billions of users using the service with that maniacal focus on speed, on relevance, on the underlying, um, you know, con consumer experience. So this focus and vision eventually paid off. In 2018, Google acquired Tenor for its deep library of content, with Google noting that the acquisition would help images better surface the right content. So they found a good home for the technology, and Tenor still lives on as a totally separate, independent company. Yeah, and, and that's, the, that's the story of Tenor. So next week, we'll be back with even more product journeys right here on Season 9 of Rocketship.fm. 
Thanks so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM now has a premium ad-free feed. All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash Rocketship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad-free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, and Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, which is a community for software product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate Network, so a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on Rocketship.fm. 